So we are continuing this series, this Christmas series, I Witness His Majesty, as we are looking at the Christmas story uh, from different angles. And uh, again, the premise of this is that we are looking at this familiar Christmas story uh, through the lens of some second-level characters. And we all know the, the major players are obviously, you know, Mary and, and, and Jesus, right? But as we look at that, um, again, it's easy to kind of just see the same story every year and kind of get get lost in that, but the, the challenge of not just looking at the story through second-level characters to kind of dig deeper in it, the next second level beyond the manger scene, uh, the, the challenge for us is also to go deeper in our faith this Christmas season, to, to dive beyond just what's on the surface and to, to get a little deeper into what God wants for, for us as individuals and, and as followers of Jesus. What, what does it, that look like um, to live out our faith every day. As we look at the Christmas story, the reality is the Bible doesn't give us all the, all the details. Um, two of the four Gospels don't even mention the Christmas story. Uh, Mark and John just skip it completely and go right into the adult uh, phase of Jesus' life. Matthew and Luke both, get, both give us a Christmas story, but they give us different details. And so over the years, we put those together, filled in the holes, and, and arrived at what we now know as the traditional Christmas story. And yet there are a lot of perspectives and characters and interactions that just simply aren't in Scripture. But yet there are lots of people that witnessed the majesty of the Christ child. This is true regarding not just the Christmas story, but every aspect of Jesus' life. And so as we approach this Christmas story this year, again, our challenge is to go beyond the traditional story to the second level of what it means to truly follow Jesus. And, and we've already looked at the innkeeper's son. Last week we looked at Joseph and now Today we're going to focus on the mother of Mary. And again, it's, it's easy again to think about Mary. She's obviously a major player in the story. Um, but think about her, her parents and think about where they were coming from in this situation and what they dealt with, right? Um, and what happened in their lives, right? And their interaction. So today we're going to look at, the, again, the mother of Mary. Look at the story through, through her eyes. Um, so at to dive into that, we are going to actually start with uh, this, this story, this text in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This is uh, where, again, as we saw last week, Matthew is focused on Joseph's side of the story. Luke is more focused on Mary's side. So we're going to uh, look at, at Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me uh, to Luke 1. If you're here with us in person, you don't have your own Bible, our Bible's provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. You'll notice the page numbers there on where you can find uh, find it in those Bibles. So if you're with us online, if you grab your Bible and follow along, uh, we're going to read Luke uh, 1, starting at verse 26, where it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm, I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age, 
People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So as we see this story again, there's a couple different things intertwined in this interaction between Mary uh, and, and Gabriel, the angel. Uh, one is we, he talks about Elizabeth and this other baby. That other baby was John the Baptist. And again, his role is obviously six months ahead of Jesus, right? And, that, and, and we see that, uh, again, as that plays out through the Gospels of, of the role that God had for him. Uh, and, and, but as we look at this, again, and think about this experience, right? The angel, the, the angel came to Mary, right? And, and told Mary what was going on. But, but again, think about um, Mary's parents' reaction. If, you know, if, if you're a parent, even if you're not a girl parent, you, you could pr- understand probably the crisis level, right, of this information. And, and, and as we think about this and, and think about the way that she, they would have reacted and the way that they would have, what, things they would have said to Mary, right, in this, these moments, let's, um, let's think about that as we watch, again, this short video portrayal um, of, of the mother of Mary. arrives with one's first child. Every mother is acquainted. Worry. When one is young, one prays. When one becomes a mother, one burns the midnight oil. You know what I speak of. Back, my hip, gifts from my first child. Mary was such an easy child. And then she met this quiet carpenter. Nice enough young man. Though her father and I worried if he could provide. That soon became the least of our worries. She, uh, she came to me quietly one morning talking of angels. Trying to explain this child that she had conceived. Mind you, every Jewish girl's dream is to be chosen to give birth to the one. Yet I could hardly bear to listen. It's one thing to conceive out of wedlock, but this story. How could she lie to her own mother? What have you done? I said to her over and over. I screamed. Words that haunt me every day. This. This is how I greeted the long-awaited savior of our people. When I finally understood, 
when I finally believed. An ecstasy spilled out of me. Had it been there this whole time? I was to be the grandmother of the Messiah. Yeah. I don't know what I expected after that. Perhaps a more suitable birth plan for a king and his mother. But what do I know? I know this. The very first thing I said to my sweet Mary was, what have you done? <laughs> Such a useless question. What I should have said was, let's see what God can do. Look what God has done. When we see this again, portrayal right, of the Mother Mary and her reaction to the news, I think we can all identify, right? Because we've all gotten unexpected news. <laughs> right? Whether it's huge, life-changing news like, like Mary being pregnant or, or even you know, things minor in comparison, we've all had those reactions, right? Those knee-jerk reactions that we later regret. Right? And we, we can think about that moment, right? When, when she, she hears this news, this life-altering news, and, and as she said, right, the, I mean, her reaction was, what have you done? Right? And when we think about that, again, think about even our own lives, our own reactions to different situations, to different struggles, to, to different unexpected news times, and, and, and in those moments, right, we, we have these knee-jerk reactions, and, and the reality is that we can all identify with the fact that the typical response to unexpected news is one of self-preservation. It's, the, the typical response to unexpected news is self-preservation, and you think about that's exactly what, what was portrayed in the video, right, is when, when it comes, she hears this, that Mary's pregnant, right, and out of wedlock, and, and all of these say, right, the, the first question, her first reaction, right, what have you done, that, that's a self-preservation question. That's from a parent coming back and being like, this isn't the way we raised you, right, I thought we had these conversations, right, like this, and, and it's all, like now what's, again, running through your mind, what's everybody else going to think about, not just Mary, but about us as your parents, right? and, and because what happens to them comes back on on her, right? And it was, it was a self-preservation reaction. What have you done? Why, why have you done, done this to all of us, right? And, and I think we all know that, right? We, we've all had that reaction, right, of, of going into self-protection mode. And yet we, we can identify with that, and, and yet at the same time, we realize that, that following Jesus is is life-altering news. It's supposed to alter our lives to follow Jesus. And, and yet, following Jesus means that we have to, to look at this, this default reaction of, of our own souls, right, about, about whatever information it is, just this, this knee-jerk reaction to protect myself, 
Because the reality is Jesus was very upfront with us about what it meant to follow him. In, In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, then Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Because that's, Jesus is addressing this exact knee-jerk reaction, right? Because our natural reaction, human response is self-preservation. Selfishness. I want what I want. And, And I take care of number one. Me. And so many times we see that, but yet Jesus is saying, if, if you'd really want to follow me, he's saying you must give up your own way, take up your cross. If you see, I mean, literally die to yourself, right? Like, like sacrifice your own selfishness and your own desires and all these ideas for that, right? Give up your life to follow me. Life-altering news. And he says, but if you, if you don't do that, right? He says, if you hang on to your life, right? You just go into self-preservation mode. The reality is you will actually lose your life for eternity. Right? And, and again, as we, as we see this, just as it was portrayed in the video, right? And she went into this knee-jerk reaction of self-preservation. It, it completely shut her off to what God was actually doing. And her perspective was, was short-sighted, right, by definition, as she protected herself and, and pushed God away. But again, Jesus is not here telling us, you know, this, this horrible, you know, like, um, you know, sentence, right? Like, you must die to yourself and give it. Like, like this is an invitation, Right, this is, is an honest, truthful invitation from Jesus to say, no, you can die to yourself. You can give up your life. He's like, but, but what you're, you're not going to do if you do that is not lose it for eternity, right? Like, like, let's focus on what you gain. Because what you gain if you die to yourself and if you give up your own selfishness and, and, and open your life to Jesus, what you gain is eternity with God in heaven. When you join the journey of faith, when you pray and accept him as your savior and invite him into your life, when you take up your own cross, die to yourself, and follow Jesus, right? Yeah, there is a sacrifice made, absolutely. Right? But what you get on the other end is a huge reward. Again, is it a risk? Yes. But it's a huge reward. And, and when we realize, you know, the joining journey of faith, it is life-altering. It's supposed to be life-altering. But when we do that, when we receive Christ our Savior, we also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God opens up our hearts and our minds to God's perspective. And we can read Scripture differently because God shows us things we've never seen before. We start to see the world through different lens, right? through the lens of the Holy Spirit. And So then we move, just like we saw here in the video, how she moved from a what have you done, such a useless question, to what she should have said, which is let's see what God can do. 
she moves from what have you done to let's see what God can do. And, and again, the, the that closing line of the video is, look what God has done. And, and that is a complete perspective change. And, and so we learn, and they, not only is our typical response to unexpected news self-preservation, but, but as a follower of Jesus, unexpected news is an opportunity for God to work. But unexpected news is an opportunity for God to work. Because the reality is, if I have it all figured out and, and everything is great on my own, then I don't need God. Right? And if I don't need God, then, then he could just stay away, right? And I know what's coming and everything. And now, again, we, if you've been alive for 10 minutes, you know that you don't have everything under control and you don't know what's coming. Right? But, but as a follower of Jesus, unexpected news is an opportunity for God to work. And we get to choose that perspective. Right? We get to say, like, okay, God, I don't know what's happening right now, but, but I trust you. And the real difference is what, what is the focus, right? What's the emphasis of my reaction on? Is it on myself or is it on God? Right? And, and again, that's what following Jesus is really about. It's, it's, not, it's about sacrificing that perspective on myself and about saying, no, my life's not for my own anymore, right? It's, it's for God. And it's a chance for God to work. And as we look at this, this story of Mary and the interaction with the angel and, and again, the, the eventual conversation she had with her parents, right, about all of this, like, uh, we, we see, again, some, some very practical steps that we can take as a follower of God to, to keep God the focus okay, whenever unexpected news comes, because it always comes. Okay, so to keep God the focus during unexpected news. There's, there's a few things we can learn from this story of what we should do, and the first one is this. To keep God the focus during unexpected news, I need to reflect on how I got in this situation. Okay, reflect on how I got in this situation. What, what, what's the chain of events? What's the decisions? What's the, you know, the actions? What's, uh, what, what got me to this place? In fact, if we, if we, we look at, at this situation, right, with Mary, again, there, this is a, a kind of exactly what the angel starts with. Now, we see here, again, this, this self-preservation reaction was, was coming from a place of guilt. Like I said, from, as the mother of Mary, the, the guilt was like, where did we mess up raising her? How does she not know, you know, the, the right order of things to do them in, right? And, and, and how do we end up with her pregnant um, out of wedlock. Again, you think about from her, her mom's perspective, there was an assumption of sin in Mary's life. And yet, that is exactly the opposite of what got them into this situation. And that's where the angel started. If we, we see it in verses 28 and 30, the, the first interaction between Gabriel and Mary. As he appears to her, he says, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Again, he, the angel tells her twice that she has found favor with God, right? That God's proud of her, okay? That she's done the right things. 
So much so, right, that God is, is, has chosen her. Again, this, this is an invitation. And, and as the angel tells it, right, that you found favor with God. You, you are blessed. God is with you. Again, you think about, again, God, God knew the reaction of everybody, right, what, what it was going to be. He knew what this meant for Mary, that she was going to be isolated and alone because of this news. And yet notice, he again reiterates, he's like, but you're not alone. Right? God's with you. And, and when we see this and we know, right, that the, the reality is that it was not sin in Mary's life that got her into this situation. It was actually the opposite. Right? Mary was chosen by God because of her holiness and her purity. Right? This was a badge of honor for a life of faith and a life of obedience. And as we can reflect again on how she got into that situation, we, again, the same thing, can need to do that in our lives. When we get unexpected news, again, what got me here? Is it what it first seems? And it might be, right? <laughs> and maybe it's not. It might be the exact opposite of what I first think. It, it, again, reflect on how I got in the situation. Was, was, it, was it a series of bad decisions and sinful decisions that I made that got me to this place? Or, or, or was it a series of obedience right, and, and, and taking steps forward in my faith that got me to this place? And so we, first, we reflect on how I got there. Okay, because we need to understand how we got there so we can learn from it. Right? Because if it's a place I don't want to go again, then I learn from how I got there to say, okay, don't go down that road again. Right? If, it's a, if it's a place of like, okay, well, it was, again, it, how did I get in a situation? Well, I, I was faithful in church, and, and I, I did my devotions, and I was good, all of these things. If that's what got me there, then it's like, okay, now I need to learn to repeat that. Right? Reflect on how I got here. The, the, the second thing we need to do in an unexpected information comes to us, to keep God the focus is, is to evaluate what I know is true. Evaluate what I know is true. Because there's several things that scripture tells us that we know is true in our world. One is that we know that there's a lot of voices in our world and most of them are lying to us. Okay, we know that to be true. And to, again, think about what else do I know that is true? Hey, look at, at Luke 1, 34 and 35, because notice as this interaction between Mary and the angel continues, right, Mary asks the, uh, the, the angel a pretty logical question, right? How can this happen? I'm a virgin. Again, Mary knows what you have to do to get pregnant. Okay, she also knows she hasn't done it. Right, this is a pretty logical question. She's, she's asking, she's like, okay, how... What do I know, right? And then the, the Holy Spirit, and then the, the angel explains it to you. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. And again, as, as Mary evaluates, she's like, okay, I know what's true, and so how can this ever, ever happen? 
And, and, and then again, the angel explains it to her, and then notice where, where the conclusion of this is, is, is where Mary gets her heart then as she processes through this information, is evaluating everything that she knows is true. Because again, this is also probably running through her head of like, okay, I know that there's a Messiah supposed to come. Right? I, I know that, that God has a plan to save the world. She, she knew the scriptures. She knew the prophecy. She knew all these things. And, and so she's running through everything that she knows to be true. And gets to this place, right, in verse 37. Now, on your handout, I wrote, gave you three different translations of this verse. Okay, because this verse has been translated lots of different ways in different Bibles. And in fact, if, if you were following along in one of the Pew Bibles, compared to what I read in mine, mine's an older version of NLT. And even verse 37 is different in those Pew Bibles than it is in mine. Okay, the, the newest version of NLT translates this verse, for the word of God will never fail. Okay, now, it, the King James Version says, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And, and again, that's kind of the, the version in my Bible, right? In the, the older NLT version, it says nothing is impossible with God. Now again, this, this, this phrase, this, this, this Greek sentence that is translated in 37 is kind of a little bit hard to translate, and that's why there's all these different versions. I think, actually, you see that the newest NIV version translation of verse 37, I think, is probably the most accurate, where it says, for no word from God will ever fail. Because I think the problem with, like, the NLT one, the word of God, we think about the Bible, right? Which is true. The Bible will never fail. That is true. Hey, but yeah, we see in that, but it's saying, and for God, nothing's impossible. That's also true, right? God can do anything God wants to do. He's the creator of the world. He's all-powerful, right? He can do anything he wants to do. Nothing's impossible for him. But the, 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 I think core of what the angel, where, where Mary's at is she's saying, well, if God says it, then it, it can happen. Right? Even if it goes against all logic and laws of science and all those things, just God's bigger than that, right? If God says it, then it will happen. Hey, and again, we get to that place when we evaluate what we know is true, and, and that's the ultimately where we need to get, right, is knowing that God is God, and he can do anything he wants. Even if it sounds impossible to everybody else, if God says it, it will happen. Again, we can think about situations in your life, you know, and in your faith, maybe where you've experienced that. I, I'd say we've, we've had that experience. I think, uh, think about our adoption story. And again, some of you guys know our adoption story. I remember just a couple years ago on Christmas, we told a more in-depth version of our adoption story. But I remember when we started that process of finding Claire, everybody told us that would, that, that would be impossible. And now we got a little three-year-old running around here, right? That shows that this verse is true. Right? And I think when we think about all of this, right, we evaluate what we know is true, and we know that God is God, and we are not. Right? And that God can do anything God wants to do. Right? And with that perspective, we know that this is an opportunity for God to work when unexpected need comes. Which leads us to the next thing that we need to do to keep God the focus, right, no matter what we face, and that is to trust that God, to trust God for what the future will bring. Trust God for what the future will bring. The, the cool thing about the Christmas story is we can, we can already see what God did, right? 
Like we, you know, we can already fast forward the story because it's already happened and, and we can look back and know what God did. We know what this baby grew up to do. It, in fact, the, again, the result of Jesus' life, like his death and his resurrection is the savior, the saving of the world. That, that's where our uh, salvation comes from. That's how we can have a, a relationship with God is by receiving him as our savior and, and joining the journey of faith and moving forward in our faith and growing to be more like him every day. And, and yet, again, we can fast forward in our Bibles and look uh, in Acts chapter 2 and we can see, again, what the life of Jesus did. They, they look at Acts chapter 2. This is after Jesus has, has um, not only resurrected, but he's ascended to heaven. He's passed the baton of leadership to the apostles. They've started a new church. The Holy Spirit gets poured out in the beginning of Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And then we get this, this picture of the first church okay, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing of in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in their homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the good will of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Right? And again, we can look back and see what God did right, through this. And, and yet, Mary had no idea, right? Especially Mary's mom had no idea what was going to happen right, with this baby's life. And yet, again, as we, we see this, and when we get this picture of the first century church, we, we tend to focus on what the first century church did. Right? And again, that's, that's how we read this passage, and we, we, we see that. We see that they, they were generous, right? And they shared everything, and they, they, they sold off stuff. They helped the needy, and, and kind of all those things, right? They, they did life together, and, and it, it's easy to focus on what they did because it seems so crazy and so countercultural, and it was. It was then, and it still is today. Again, following Jesus kind of makes us do some crazy things. And if, if you want to dive deeper into that, Go back online and watch last week's sermon. Yeah, but, but if we think about that, right, the, the most important point, though, that we get out of this passage is not necessarily what they did. The most amazing thing to me about this first century church isn't what they did, but it's, it's why they did what they did. Again, we can look back through that and think, why did they do what they did? Why did they sell their possessions? Why did they live a life of generosity? Why did they, they come together and do life together and go worship together and eat meals together and do all these things? Why did they do that? Okay, and, and it's in chapter 2, but we see as, it, as the church continues to build, right, we see more and more come out of why they did this. And in, in, just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 4, we see verse 32, and it, where it says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. And again, this verse, again, it reiterates what they did, but it gives us a clearer picture of why. Right? Why did they do what they did? Well, they did it because... They were united in heart and mind. And I encourage you to underline and circle that phrase. They, they were united 
in heart and in mind. They, they were united a, around Christ. Right? Their lives were not self-centered anymore. Their lives were God-centered. And, and we see again that, again, their perspective right, was very different. Nothing I have is my own. Right? It's all God's. And so God's giving me what I need. Right? And so I'll, I'll, I'll keep what I need, but then I'll also I'll help others with, with everything else that God gave me. Right? Because it's all God's. And again, as we look back at this, again, I, I don't believe that the first church, in fact, we can historically see, they didn't just sell everything and live together in a commune. That's not what they did. They kept their houses. They kept those things. But again, they sold off extra things. They, they gave. They helped those in need. And again, you just see that, like, we still do that today, don't we? Right? We still help those in need. If, but it's the, the thing that stands out, right, is why. And, and why they did this was because they were centered on Christ. They were united. And unity is an incredibly powerful force. And what united them? Well, it's our core value number one. Right? What united them is the destination of our journey is Jesus Christ. He is the center of everything we do. And if that is true for all of us, that's what unites us. Right? And, and, and unity is an incredibly powerful force. Which is exactly why we, we need to do the, this last thing that I see that again, we need to do to keep Jesus the center when unexpected news comes. And that is to seek God and Christian community. Don't run from it. Seek God and Christian community. Don't run from it. Because, again, uh, the, our knee-jerk reaction, not only is it typically selfish, but, again, our knee-jerk reaction when bad news comes or unexpected news or tragic news, life-altering things, whatever it is, um, even just small struggles in our life, the, the, the temptation is to push everybody away, including God, and to go self-introspective. And to go back to our default sinful nature, right? And to go and just to, to come, go into my hole and throw my own little pity party. Right? Again, and, and I don't mean that facetiously. Like I just say it, but that, that, that's the, that is our knee-jerk reaction, right? It, is to, to, to focus on myself, to protect myself, right? And to push God and everybody else away. And yet it's the opposite of what we should do. Right, it, what we really should do is to seek God more right, and to seek Christian community more, not run from it. In fact, when we see about, again, it, it's portrayed in the video about the Jewish life, right? And she says that it's the dream of every Jewish child, right, to be the, the mother of the Messiah. And, and when we think about that, and, and yet part of the Jewish life and the Jewish culture, and even when you think about that reaction, right, of what have you done, and, and again, where do we mess up as parents, and and all those kinds of things, right, is we can go back and look at, at the, the Jewish culture, especially in that time, right, was lived and died on unity. And them all believing the same thing. And one of the ways that they, that they created unity within their culture and within their faith, okay, was that they, they had some, some um, religious, uh, you know, um, ceremonies, 
right? And, and things that they did over and over and over again. One of the, the most common ones that they did as a family, as a community of faith, was that they would, um, they would recite the Shema. You know, this is found, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want to flip to that real quickly. Now, all the way back to the beginning of your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, verses 4 and 5 is the Shema, and then it, it gives the instructions on what they're supposed to do with it. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Re- repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so we see again this this, this creed, right, this, this declaration that the Lord is God and there's only one God, right, that he is Lord alone. Okay, and that we're going to love him with everything we have. And then it says, and, and say that over and over again, like, let it permeate into every part of your life. Right? And then put it on the back of your hand and every, so it affects all of your actions. Put it on your forehead so it affects all of your thoughts, right? Put it on the doorpost of your house so when you go home and you're arriving at a home that you, you're reminded of it. Put it on your gate so that when you leave, you, that's the last thing you see, right, before you go out into the world. He's saying, like, like it, it's supposed to permeate every part of your life. And the more that they did it, the more that it focused them on God and brought unity in their culture and their faith community. And, and again, this is something that, that, that Mary's parents would have done with her, right? She comes into that reaction, right, of, of her, of, like, what have you done? Like, how did we go wrong? Like, we did this. And they obviously did, or else Mary could have never been chosen. <laughs> now, now, when we think about this and say, okay, this is, this is a, a Jewish culture thing, so, so why do we bring it up? Well, the reality is that Jesus brought it up. In fact, Jesus reiterates this in Mark chapter 12. Right? Mark 12, uh, verses 28 through 34. This is, again, this, this situation where where uh, Jesus is being questioned and, and uh, you know, kind of by the, the religious leaders of the time and the Pharisees, and, and they're, uh, they're trying to trick Jesus. And here in Mark 12, verse 28, he says, well, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well. And so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is the one and only Lord. And you must have the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. And no other commandment is greater than these. And the teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart, all my understanding, and all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and the sacrifices required by the law. And realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, there, there's a lot here and a lot to unpack and kind of through that. But I wanted to look at it today just to say, to see how, how they were quizzing Jesus, right? And Jesus literally quotes the Shema here in this, in Deuteronomy 4 and 5. And he also quotes Leviticus 19, 18. 
Right? And, and again, we know this now as the two greatest commandments, right? And again, this is something that we talk about a lot in, in, the, in the church today, right? Because, because um, Jesus taught them, which is what this teacher of religious law knew. He said, if you just focus on these two things, right? Loving God with everything you have, knowing that he's God, oh, the only God, and that you, you love him with everything you have, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, then if you just do those two things, then everything else in your life will work out fine. If those two things are true. And again, Jesus reiterated these things. He brought them in to say, this is what brings unity in the body of faith, right? Of, of, as within the church, this is what you, you unifies us together. And that is why, again, we talk about it so much. Right? Because it's what unified the Jewish culture and it's what unifies the Christian culture today. And, and, and as, as we, we think about this, Right? And think about the power of being surrounded by people that are doing the same thing. It brings unity. And unity is an incredibly powerful force. Again, the temptation, especially after unexpected news or in times of struggle, is to run from God and to run from community. In fact, Jesus knew this. He prayed against it. That we look at Jesus in John 17 when he was his last prayer before he went to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and John, John records this prayer for us in, in John chapter 17. And, and we see here, in, again, in verses 22 and 23, what does Jesus pray? He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me so, that, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Again, unity is an incredibly powerful force, so much so that it's the last thing that Jesus prayed for us about before he went to the cross. Lord, help them be unified. Because it's through that unity, right, through the focus on Christ that will show the world not only that he's the Messiah, but it will show them the way of salvation and to show them that nothing is impossible for God. That, and the reality is we all face unexpected news or times of struggle. It might be something positive in our lives, or it might be something negative in our lives, but we all have struggles in life, and we stumble along our faith journey. And in those times, we all face the temptation to focus on ourselves and go into self-preservation mode. But Jesus offers us a different choice. If we reflect on how we got into the situation, we evaluate on what we know is true, we trust God for what the future will bring, and if we seek God and community, it is an opportunity to see God work. And we, just like the mother of Mary in the video, can go from what have you done to let's see what God can do. And again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today. I don't know maybe what crazy thing God's asking you to do. Maybe what, what struggles in your life or unexpected news you just received. But I do know that Jesus loves you. That he wants to save you. And he wants to help you. Will you accept that gift? The most incredible gift we could ever receive. Christ child. Will you pray and receive Christ your Savior today and join the journey of faith?
where you commit to the next step of your life, right? To, to saying, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to seek community. I'm going to evaluate what's true. I'm going to do all these things because I'm going to keep committed to Jesus being the center of my life no matter what comes my way. And I'm going to be obedient and faithful to the next step of whatever that needs to be. Again, I don't know where you're at in your faith today, but I hope that you will move forward in your journey. Move closer to Christ. Take whatever step you need to take. Which leads me to my final thought this morning. It comes from John chapter 16, verse 33. The words of Jesus. As he says, I told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Because here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Wherever you're at in your faith journey today, take a step forward. Keep Jesus the center. And know that you're not alone. Lord, our lives to you today. Lord, to love you with everything we have. Lord, to love our neighbors ourselves. And God, I pray that as we go this week, as we live our faith, Lord, as we take that step forward to you, as we keep you at the center of whatever comes our way, Lord, I pray that especially during this Christmas season, God, that we would be so unified together as a body of believers, as followers of you, God, that the world would see something that they want and need. And God, I pray that this Christmas season you will draw people to you. Lord, as we receive the most incredible gift we could ever have in the Christ child, as the light of the world permeates the darkness, God, help us this week to live out our faith, to invite others to do the same, and to show this world who you really are. Lord, guide us as we go, as we live your faith, as we are your church, as we represent you well this week. We love you, we praise you, guide us as we go. In Jesus' name.